For two, um, this message would probably be, um, I, I would say, PG-13 or PG-16 if there was such a rating. If you have you know, younger people here, I, I'm actually disappointed my son isn't here today because we would have a lot of great conversations. I believe that it's, it's the church's job to speak truth and then when we go home with our children to debrief that truth. I really think that that's an important thing. So if there's any questions that, that linger afterwards, the other um, disclaimer I would have is that Jesus is teaching to a group of followers here. This is for those who are within the church. So if you're just somebody who's checking out Christianity, this teaching is not directed toward you. And also he's teaching to people's future, not looking back at their past struggles and sin. Does that make sense? This is a forward-looking teach to the Christians that are around him. So those are my disclaimers. Ladies and gentlemen, grab your Bibles, Matthew 5, and we're going to go from verse 13 to verse 30. So follow along, circle things, write question marks. It is a text that's really awesome. Curtis. Thank you, Reverend. (laughs) Genius. All right. Verse 13, is that where we're at? Beauty. Uh, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither uh, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Uh, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called... Uh, least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches those commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Murder. You have not heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Something is answerable to Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, what does it say? Okay, the word <laughs> raka it was this word back then that was like, idiot! It literally means empty head. So that's pretty funny. Again, anyone who says to his brother, empty head, is answerable <laughs> to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <laughs> Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and uh, there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, uh, adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into the prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it uh, said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who commits or who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. Thank you, Curtis. Wow. Um, yeah, you can take your Bible. So this passage obviously has got a lot of cultural stuff going on, and we really need to unpack it to fully understand what's going on here. Um, why don't we just pause and pray, ask that the Holy Spirit would fill you, give you eyes and ears. Um, I really believe, just with my whole heart, that God wants to do something in this room tonight that will give you freedom and liberty for the rest of your life. I honestly believe that if you open your heart to what God might have for you, that you will very possibly save your future family, perhaps future ministry that God calls you to. I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit is just speaking a very powerful, true word to us this evening. So let's just pause and say, fill me with your spirit, give me understanding. So just pray to yourself for 10 seconds and then we'll get into it. Jesus, I just pray for an individual filling of your spirit, God, and I pray for a corporate filling of your spirit. God, you, you just come and you just gently just burn away those things that, that cause us harm, God. You're the good physician that comes and just removes the poison, God, and you always do it, God, with gentleness and love because you're a loving father. So God, we just trust that to you and we love you. Amen. I want to show you a video. Um, Many of you guys have probably seen this this week. This was posted on Facebook and I I read it and I literally got chills down my spine. This old lady is amazing. Okay, Curtis, roll it. When the disciples left Jesus and went into public, they had taken note and they said, surely they have been with Jesus. There is a different aroma about somebody, a different authority that people speak with, a different way that they love when we've been with Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about. 
You know what I'm talking about. And, and you remember times when you've just been so close to him and you, oh, your love is just so different and, and the way that you worship feels so different. You've been with Jesus and I love that. And, and the passage that we're studying today is one of a God who's saying, I want no walls between us. I want to be with you. I want my fruit of your spirit to be all over you. Here's what happens, is that in this passage, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he said, you have heard long ago, do not commit adultery. He's referring to Moses and the Ten Commandments. He says, you've heard it said long ago, do not murder. You see, Jesus is taking on the place of the new Moses, bringing down a new law, and it's very, very different. When Moses came down the first time with the Ten Commandments, he gets to the bottom And everybody had taken their gold, and they had made a golden calf. This is what it looked like. You're thinking, who cares? Who cares if they did that? Moses comes down, and he sees them worshiping this golden calf. He takes the Ten Commandments, and he smashes them. This is not just a golden calf. This is a god named Apis. It's a sex god. Moses comes down, and the Bible says they were engaging in revelry. It's orgies. They were having sex with each other. God's people. He sees this, and you know what Moses does in this moment? Is he takes that idol, and he makes them melt it. He puts it in fire, and everyone's watching. A million and a half of them. And then he grinds it down. And then he puts it in the water, and he makes everybody drink it. You're thinking, what is he doing? He's doing this because next, you know what happens? Is they're going to poop it out. (laughs) He's going to say, you see your God? He's only worthy for your feces. That's what I think about it. You're not just going to destroy this God. We are going to absolutely, we are going to embarrass this God. That's a false God. You see, here's the thing about our lives is that In our lives, when we don't feel God, when we feel empty, when we feel sad, what we do is we replace God with a perversion of sexuality. It's what we do. And and it's, it's it's really clear why we do it. It's because sexuality is so spiritual. In Genesis, it says the Lord God is one. It's this word ikad. It's this spiritual power. And then... God says, when he created Adam and Eve, he says that they're going to become one flesh when they have sex. It's this word, ikad. It's this spiritual unifying force. It's spirit. Because sexuality is very, very spiritual. And that's that's what it is. Paul says that all other sins are outside of our bodies, but our sexuality has to do with our very souls. And so it can really dramatically affect our relationship with God. And so Jesus is coming down as the new Moses, and the first thing he goes after is their sexuality. And he likens it back to what happened before. Listen to this, Matthew 5.13. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. You're thinking, okay, what's going on here? Salt back in the day was used because they had no refrigeration, and if you had meat out, it would rot. So they put salt on it, and it preserved it, and it kept it from rotting. Salt was really, really expensive. You guys ever heard that term, you're worth your salt? 
because salt was currency, they actually paid, thank you, they actually paid, um, they paid soldiers in salt. It was the currency. So then if you worked, here was some salt and it was useful. But salt and people will say that you can't actually destroy salt. You can't lose its saltiness because it's a very stable compound. That's true. But once salt has been um, diluted in water, it loses all of its power. When you add stuff to it is when it gets destroyed. And you see, here's the thing is that Jesus is saying that it is your sexuality that's diluting your mission and your purpose and everything and your relationship with me. And it's not that God represses our sexuality. He actually has the highest view of sex and actually elevates the view in that time. This is what we're going to do. We need to know what healthy sexuality looks like first before we can know what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you look at somebody lustfully, that's adultery. You guys want to do that? Okay, so open your Bibles again to the very middle of your Bible. Open it up. And then you're going to either land on Psalms or Proverbs. So just like take it, split it open right in the middle. There's Bibles in the little pew rack in front of you if you don't have one. So you might be Psalms or Proverbs, so just keep going to the right. You're going to get to the book of Ecclesiastes next. And then right after Ecclesiastes, you're going to get to the book Song of Solomon. And we're going to do some study. Are you guys ready? My parents have been coming to Pursuit, and I'm actually so glad they're not here tonight. (laughs) So open it up to chapter 4, Song of Solomon chapter 4. So chapter 3 is all about the wedding night. Sorry, the wedding. Chapter 4 is after the wedding. It's the wedding night. And it gives a really good theology of sexuality. Okay, turn to chapter 4, verse 1. This is Solomon speaking to his wife. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Wow. So they're alone. She's still wearing his veil. She, her veil. And men, take note of these. These are some good lines. This is some good material. Holy baby, those are doves right there. Verse 1 to 7, he's just complimenting his wife. He gets it. Sex is not just physical. Our wives need to feel loved and beautiful, and it starts real strong, and then it gets real weak. You ready? Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Come on. You got better stuff than that. Goats are gross. Their hair is all nappy and coarse. Anyways, verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin None of them is alone. Baby, your teeth are so clean. I can tell that you've brushed. And you have all of your teeth. Oh. <laughs> Everyone has its twin. Like, there's not like gaps. Every, yeah, that's funny. Come on. I dated this girl and her sheep were all freaky and alone. <laughs> that's weird, isn't it? Verse 3. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. I think I had like an extra N in there. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. This is a cool image. 
that her head is held high. Yesterday, it was Becca and Davy's wedding. And as I was praying for Becca, I just heard this word. Yeah, it was great. That, that Becca is somebody who walks with dignity and grace. And her, her head is held high. And Solomon is saying here, you are a woman that is so worthy of honor. Your neck is like, a, oh, that's such a cool image. Girls, if a guy ever said that of you, that's a keeper right there. Unless he's just saying it to become a keeper. Verse 5. You ready? Your breasts are like two fawns. Like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. This makes scholars nervous. They actually does. They say there's a dual meaning here. That the breasts represent the old covenant and the new covenant. It's like... Give me a break, you old philosopher. No, he's talking about her breasts. Some people say this is like Mount Sinai and the mountain of Calvary, and there's not a chance. This is a man enjoying his wedding night and is meeting two fawns, and he's browsing with them among the lilies. That's what's going on here. It's just that straightforward. This is funny what happens next. Are you guys ready? This is what happens next. So this guy is writing from the perspective of, of a man who hasn't had sex before, and it shows. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hills of incense <laughs> until the day breaks. That's what this guy thinks. He's like, honey, this is our first night, and it's going to last all night. <laughs> That's what he said. That's not even possible. Verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the mount of Hermon, from the lion's den, and the mountain haunts of leopards. You're thinking, what? Are they at a zoo? Where are they? <laughs> lions and leopards were synonymous with fear. He's getting a little bit nervous at this point. He's like, oh my goodness, what's happening? He's getting nervous. And he's saying, this is way scarier than I thought. And I'm getting really nervous right now. Can I just quickly call my mom? You, you got two minutes? Just wait here. He's actually nervous. That's what he's saying. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Not his literal sister. This is a term that is referring to their faith, how they're kindred, how they both love their creator, how they're both on the same page spiritually she is his spiritual sister, and he's taking this moment to just say, oh, we are so united. Like, we have the same daddy in the faith. That's so beautiful. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as a honeycomb, my bride. So to translate this, he's starting to kiss her here. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Now he's really kissing her. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Now he's noticing her garments and he's removing them. That's what scholars say. <laughs> and me. Verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What he's doing here is very interesting. He's rejoicing over her virginity. He's saying, 
you are a fountain locked up. He, he's, he's actually like celebrating this in this moment. Verse 13, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree and myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. He's commenting on the plants in your garden. You are a garden fountain, a well a flowing water streaming down from Lebanon, and she is impressed. Here's her response. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. He's awoken her south wind. (laughs) That's exactly what it means. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I'm not even going to interpret this any further It's getting really, really, really racy here. And that's the intention. You see, here's what's happening here, is that scriptures are elevating sexuality. It's a beautiful thing. And then in chapter 5, it's after the sex. And here's what's happening, is that it's that moment, you know, in like the 90s sitcom where he's sitting there with a smoke. Hey, thanks. That moment. And she reflects on his beauty. This is what she says. My beloved, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. What is ruddy? I want to be ruddy. His hair is wavy and black like a raven. Ah, nuts. I'm not ruddy. His eyes are like doves. His lips are like lilies. You see, she is returning the favor and she uses the same pattern to him. He starts describing her Physically, starting from the head down, and now she starts to do the exact same. You can continue to read that if you'd like, from the top down. They're noticing each other, and there's so much theology in this. For starters, he's delighting that, that she is a spiritual sister, and they share that same foundation, that she's a woman of integrity and dignity. And he's just saying, you are so pure and lovely. And they're really attracted to each other. And here's something you need to take note. Is that, is that the lights are on, or the candles or whatever, I guess, at that time. It's not just like a dark room and a shameful thing. They're not hiding their bodies from each other. They're not shy here. This is like Gyro Beach during center of gravity. Like they're, it's, they're not shameful or bashful. He says to her, he says... You are beauty, and there is no flaw in you. Now, this is really important to what he says, because it's just not true. She describes herself as being burned by the sun. So she has scars on her and sunspots. And she describes herself as being physically abused. So she had physical deformation. She had flaws everywhere. But she saw none of them. Whatever she is, that's what's beauty to him. And if she has stretch marks, then stretch marks are hot to him. And if she's burned, has acne, scars, or trouble with her weight, that is what is beautiful to him because she is the standard of his beauty. It's so cool. And if his six-pack turns into a keg, that keg is one hot keg. If he has excessive hair, no hair, snaggle teeth, stink eye, club foot, it's ready to her. That's radiant to her. This is so cool. They're not being blind. They're not fooling themselves. 
They're not, they're not pretending that that person is somebody else. That's not what's happening here. In this theology of our sexuality, they become the standard of each other's beauty. And here, here's something really cool, is that the way that God made us, the way that God made us makes this possible in our marriages. You see, when you have sex, your brain lights up with endorphins, and your brain attaches that reward of sexuality with that person And whatever they are becomes beautiful to your brain and to you. And over a period of time, your wife or your husband gets more and more attractive to you if they're the one that's the object of your fantasy, of your reward, of your sexuality. It's really cool. That's why our seniors choir is all grins. You should see that choir. You see, she is beauty to him. And he is ready radiance to her. This is the original design of marriage. And, and you know what? Our, our culture is desperate for this high standard of sexuality. Like, oh, guys, girls are desperate for this. For, for you to have eyes for only them. This is so beautiful. And you know what? Girls, girls check. When, it, when a beautiful girls walk by... Girls look at the guys and see if they're looking over at her, right? Am I right, girls? I've seen you do it many times. See, our culture is so desperate for this. You see, we're in a bit of trouble right now in our, in our society because, unfortunately, we're in, a, we're in a time where they would actually call this the era of pornography, right? We all know this. This is nothing that we haven't spoken of a lot here. At a great age, grade 8 class in the UK, um, they were doing sex ed, and the teacher asked the, teacher to, to, the students to go onto the chalkboard and just write um, sexual terms, starting from the letter A, and then B, C, all through the alphabet, and the kids all got up and just started writing letters beside A, and then letter, or words beside B, and what they had witnessed in their lives by grade 8 was so shocking. They spoke of bestiality and hate sex and rape and sodomy and words I'm not even going to mention here. And the teachers in that class actually said that they left and they were weeping in the hallways. They were bawling. They said that an entire generation's sexuality is being hijacked by grotesque online porn. At that school, they discovered the girls are selling oral sex for $10 in the bathroom. And, and they're just shocked. They're like, where did this come from? How did this even happen to these kids? Girls describe going on dates with boys. And you know that like awkward hand-holding thing when you start to date somebody? It's like, oh my goodness. And then the guy tries to steal a kiss. And then suddenly they're trying to do acts with them that they've learned from, from pornography online. And these girls are absolutely shocked at what's being happening. Sexting and sending nude pictures has become the new flirting. And, and so into this culture, we're so desperate for just truth. Just like, just give us a higher standard of sexuality. We just want to know what's true. Viagra released their sales, um, it was 10 years ago now, and it shocked the world. Here's what they found that men 18 to 35 years old, so men that didn't need Viagra for medical reasons, that 10 out of 30 million were using it in the U.S. One out of three men has erectile dysfunction before the age of 35 that they had to create a new term for it. It's called porn-induced erectile dysfunction because a real human 
is no longer attractive to their brain. They can only be turned on by images and fantasy. And this has the same effect on girls. They found that they stopped being attracted to real men, that, that their brains have been rewired. Vice magazine did an interview very recently with a guy named Dr. Gray Wilson. He's a sex researcher, and they said this, can somebody be into pornography and also have a normal sex life? And he said straight up, he said, the answer is no. No chance that the two can exist together. It's impossible. It's two different things. You see, pornography destroys our sexuality, period. That's why what Jesus said back then that made no sense to so many people, when we reread it with that information, it's like, of course, this is what he said. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because it's the exact same thing that happens in somebody's brain. And what's interesting is that Jesus is talking to a mixed crowd of of men and women. And he is saying, he's pointing out the men. And he is saying that your behavior is making all these women feel unsafe. That's what he's saying to them. And in the same way that Moses came down and burned that idol and, and crushed it and had them drink it and poop it out, Jesus is saying, you also need to destroy what is making you sin. He's saying, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You see, he's not being literal here. Tim Mackey made a really interesting point. He spoke on this. Tim Mackey's a really great teacher, by the way. I really, really um, I suggest his podcast. He said this. He said, he's not suggesting that we actually do this. If this was the suggestion, he would have mentioned other body parts that he does not mention here. Back then, it was your eye that saw and perceived the world. It was a metaphor for knowledge. And your hand and your feet were how you interacted with the world. He's saying that anything that causes you to sin, destroy it. Martin Luther says this. He says, I can't keep a bird from flying over my head but I can keep it from making a nest in my hair or biting off my nose. He is saying this. Everyone in this room has hormones. Everyone. We all do. Every one of us is tempted. Every one of us feels sexual temptation. But Jesus says straight up, he says, run from that temptation. Do whatever it takes to go the other way from that temptation. I want to show you a video, and this is really fascinating. Um, I saw this, and I was so compelled, but then I realized that, that I never made any changes in my own life. I'll show you, and then we'll talk about it. Check this out.
That's fascinating. If Jesus were to give the Sermon on the Mount today, he would be so straight up. He would say, he would say it's your devices that are killing you. He'd, he's, he would, that's what he would say. He would say, get rid of those. That's what he would say. Like, how long do we put up with something that is destroying us for and, and just, like, just move on? Or hear a message like this, and then it's like, okay, whatever, no big deal. Just think, I'm going to do better. But then the next week, show up. Here's the reality, is that our sexuality has, has a unique power to cut us off from the life of the Spirit. It's what it does. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, for the flesh desires... What is contrary to the Spirit. What it is, is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. If pornography is a part of your life, you will do things that you never thought you would. I know the thought of having an affair one day is is completely foreign but the reality is, is that whatever desire we allow to take root in our life will eventually come to the surface. Paul says that, that it's our sin that gives birth to desire, and that gives birth to death. And that's true. We do what we don't want when we live by the flesh. And he doesn't ask us to deal with this on our own. See, it's not hopeless, we're followers of Jesus. And here's what Paul says to those right before that. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is how we do it. You can't just simply say, that's it, I'm done. About two months ago, one of you in this room right now, I won't say names, obviously, came and said, I'm, I'm dealing with it tonight. I'm making a line in the sand, and I'm, I'm, tonight is my night I'm dealing with it. And you went home and told your dad. And your dad didn't act out of anger. Your dad cried with you and said, let's do this together. And you, from that point on, changed your habits and got a stupid phone and changed how you live. And because of that, there's a massive change in your life. There's a woman that came to Jesus and started to just weep at his feet over, over where she's gone in her life. And this is such a beautiful story. It's a prostitute, and she, she's weeping and, and washes his feet with her tears and dries it with her hair and then takes out her perfume. And to be a prostitute, then you had to have perfume. It was expected. A $50,000 bottle of perfume in this, in this currency of today. And she took it, and she smashed it. She poured it on the feet of Jesus and then smashed this alabaster jar so she could never go back. It was a colossal waste. It made no sense. But she said, from this point on, I'm drawing a line and I'm never going back. And Jesus says, you need to destroy this right now. That's what he says. Moses said, that's it. I'm, I'm grinding up this idol and you're going to drink it and you're going to poop it out and we're going to call it what it is and that's filth. And so there's so much power in Jesus. There's so much restoration in him 
And there's such a beautiful picture that he proposes to us. He elevates our sexuality and he says, this is how it can look. Imagine one day being married. And within your sexuality, he is the standard of your beauty. She is the standard of your beauty. You see no flaw in her. Oh, you see no flaw in him. It's beautiful. And as you both age, you just grow just progressively more attracted to each other because there's no other standard of beauty. Do you guys want this? This is what we get. See, the scriptures, they don't come and condemn us. They set us free. They don't dumb down beautiful things like sexuality. They elevate it and say, come on, come with me. Jesus is the way because he is the way that leads to life. This is so awesome. I'm going to invite you to tonight to just make the line in the sand and say, that's it. From this point on, this is it. This is my night. I'm not going any further with this stuff. Maybe in your mind, you're fantasizing about being married to somebody else, and that needs to end. Maybe in your mind, you're having fantasies about people, little movies that are somebody that, that aren't your spouse, and that, that really needs to end. Because these desires give root. And they create death. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. Communion is power because he overcame everything on the cross. Our sin was destroyed. The work of the spirit overcomes the flesh. And as we take that bread and, and that juice, what we're doing is we're saying, oh, the power of the resurrection where my sin was left and I can walk in resurrection power. I'm walking in it tonight so we can be free can be so free. Let's pray. So Jesus, God, you say that, that there's a way that seems right unto man, and in the end it leads to death, God. God, give us faith, God, to trust you, even when it doesn't make sense, even when our hormones are raging. God, I pray that you would just, right now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just break the lies when we have justified action. And Jesus, I pray that in this place that we would just have renewed relationship with you, God. Jesus, just renew it, God. Renew it completely. God, you say that our flesh works in opposition to your spirit, God. And I, and I pray that as we invite your spirit in right now, Jesus, your spirit just floods us, God. God, that those, those temptations and desires of the flesh will just, God, will, they'll just melt, Father, just melt away. And God, I pray for the person in this room that feels like they haven't lived up to this standard, Jesus. You say that you're making all things new, God, that the old is gone, that your mercy is new every morning, God that we can walk forward, Jesus, with renewed purity from this moment on. God, thank you for that, that you never tire of forgiving us. Oh, Lord. Jesus, I pray that we would provide just a beautiful new view of sexuality, God, that, that, that our grade eight students, God, that as they they look at each other they would see brothers and sisters God not objects 
God, I pray that you'd renew an innocence in our kids and in our youth, God. Just renew an innocence. Father, right now, I pray that as we make a line in the sand and as we come and take communion, God, I pray that you would just remove those chains, God. Just deliver us. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Jesus, we love you.